today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. This is his nature. We have five names and when you, each of these names is a sermon unto itself. Wonderful. How about just counselor alone? Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Prince of Peace. Five wonderful names. Which attribute or name of God are you leaning into the most these days? Pastor J.D.'s message today is filled with good news, touching on God's many great names. How thankful we are to have a loving God who is lavishly kind, patient, loving, and is our answer for lasting peace. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Isaiah chapter 9 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Here's Gideon again, and it gets actually worse from there. He reluctantly assembles the army of the Israelites, and he is able to identify a number of 32,000 men. We got a problem. The Medeanites, now it's interesting because, and for those of you that have been to Israel with us, we've gone to the springs, what, what is affectionately referred to as Gideon Springs there in Israel, believed to be the exact location of where this all took place. And when you're standing there, I mean, you see the springs and you're looking out at the vast landscape and you can just picture these numbers of Medeanites that were estimated to be 135,000. And here's Gideon with only 32,000 men. Well, now how's this going to work out? We don't have enough men. So so God says, Gideon, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to your 32,000 men, and I want you to tell them, if any of you are afraid, you can go home. What? Can, if I'm Gideon, here's what, here's how, what I'm, here's what I, how I'm going to do it and say it. If any girls are before, you can go home. <laughs> what? I didn't hear you. What? You, you don't want to go home, right? You're not afraid. You're not afraid, are you? Well, I don't know how he said it. I just know that he said it. And 22,000 men went home. Can you imagine his heart sinking? Now he's down to 10,000 men. And you know, it's like, Lord, and, and the Lord's like, I'm, Gideon, I, I know this is going to really mess you up, but you got to trust me here. You still have too many men. 10,000 is too many up against 135,000. Yeah, so what I want you to do is I want you to take these men and I want you to take them to the springs. And you're going to separate the men of the 10,000 that stick their face in the water and drink water. You're going to put them over here. And the ones that cup the water and bring it to their mouth, you're going to put them over here. Now, can you imagine, I, the last time we were there, I'm, I was just putting myself in Gideon's sandals as he's watching this play out. 
because 9,700 men of the 10,000 stuck their face in the water. And I, in my heart, believe that Gideon knew in his heart, I know which one God's going to send home, because only 300 cupped the water and brought it to their mouths. I'm going somewhere with this. I know we're taking the scenic route again. Just stay with me. And sure enough, he says, I want you to take those 9,700 men that stuck their faces in the water, and I want you to send them home. And I want you to take the 300 that cupped the water and brought it to their mouths, and those are the ones that I'm going to use to deliver the Midianites into your hands. <laughs> now you've probably heard this taught, and I, I'm not dismissing this, but I just don't think it fits the narrative. It kind of mars and ruins the whole thing that God's doing here. You've probably heard this taught as, these were the 300 Green Berets, man. These were the SEAL team. These were the top guns, man. You know, they're, they're keeping their eye on the battlefield and cupping the water to their hands. And, and the other 9,700 just stick their faces in there, you know, and those are the, send them home. They're not battle worthy. They're not battle ready. I can see how they can get there. But here's the problem. If those 300 men that cupped the water and brought it to their mouth to drink are the top guns and the Green Berets and the SEAL team and the special unit, they could conceivably take the credit for the victory. Because after all, this is the best of the best. That doesn't fit. Here's the way I heard it taught many years ago, and I, I cannot go back to any other interpretation of this account. The 300 men that cupped the water and brought it to their mouth to drink did so because they couldn't bend down and stick their face in there. These were the infirmed, potentially the elderly, the lame, the blind, the crippled. No. Right? Doesn't that fit? This, <laughs> again, here's Gideon, right? He's like, oh, no. I see a pattern here. All these young bucks, they're sticking their face in the water. And here's these older guys. There's grandpa and uncle and, you know, they're, you know, <laughs> getting up to the water, and yeah, well, I better get some water now, and that's who I'm going to use, because there's no way. That fits, right? Are we okay here? Are, you're, are you laughing with me or at me? I just want to make sure. Both. Oh, great. That's fine. But see, here's why. Because when God delivers the Medeanites into the hands of the Israelites, there's no way those 300 men could take the credit for it. It was an, could you imagine, even if they tried, you know, walking, you should have seen us, you know, when they <laughs> come back home, man, we were great. You? Yeah, no, that, that, this was God. 
There's no way you guys could have done this. This had to be the Lord. And it was. And the way it went. I would encourage you to spend some time in Judges. Start in chapter 6, go through chapter 7. It's one of my favorite accounts in all of the Bible because it is a much needed reminder for me as to why God has called me, of all people, to be a pastor. I mean, come on, are you kidding me? (laughs) Uh, I'm the last of the last, talk about three strikes, I've got like 12 strikes and plus more. But here's the thing, and this is, this is why it is when I see God bless the teaching of His Word to His people, there's no way I'm like those 300 men. There's no way, even if I wanted to or tried, I could ever take the credit for it, because there's... Well, do you have an impressive resume? You ready for this? I don't have a resume. I, 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 this is what I love. I love this, and there's nothing wrong with this, but I love getting this question. Where did you go to seminary? Seminary. I barely graduated high school. <gasps> that, that's it? Yeah, I mean, I, when I say I barely graduated high school, I mean I barely graduated high school. I got suspended. I was going to get expelled. I was so rebellious. I wasn't saved yet, so I'm feeling judged right now. <laughs> I didn't get saved till after I barely graduated at age 19, but I got suspended from high school. I was a teacher's kid. I was so rebellious, and um, they actually threatened me uh, with being expelled, and oh, that would have just crushed my father. And um, by the grace of God, I I graduated by the hair of my chinny chin chin. Can I use that? <laughs> I mean, that's again, not hyperbole. But in fact, I was talking to a, a friend of mine. Uh, we were just reminiscing. Uh, we had a, a classmate, actually graduated a few years before me, that uh, went home to be with the Lord, came to Christ, but went home to be with the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. But after a, a battle with cancer. So I called him, and they, uh, I got a text, and I just called him up, because I knew that they were really close. And he was, actually we were roommates together, and um, we did a lot of things together before I got saved first, and then he got saved after. I mean, God really moved in that. It was a real small school, real small town. I mean, my graduating class was only 16 uh, people, if you can imagine. And um, But we were just reminiscing about our lives before we came to Christ. And we were just laughing because, and he still laughs, talk about laughing at me, he still laughs at me like, you know, you were the last person on the planet that we ever thought would be a pastor. I said, I know, God's got a sense of humor. (laughs) And here's the thing. God again uses the Gideons, the 300 lame, blind, crippled, infirmed, the weak, the foolish, the last, the least, so that He alone gets the glory. Now, how does that tie into this reference here, this prophecy in Isaiah? 
because of the way the Savior would come. Didn't have to come that way. According to the prophecies he did, but think about it. He was born. This is not just impossible. This is beyond impossible. There, there, the statistical odds, the way that it happened was an absolute miracle in the realm of the supernatural. And that's why I believe we have this reference. That was kind of a long way to explain a very profound point. Now verse 6 is where uh, we have our Merry Christmas. <laughs> For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Stop right there. Now at first read, it almost seems redundant and repetitive. Why twice? And by the way, in your Bibles, depending of course on your translation, uh, the word child is capitalized, right? And the word son is capitalized. Okay, obviously we're speaking about Jesus the Christ. Now why in this prophecy, very well-known prophecy, uh, are we told that unto us a child is born, and then we're also told unto us a son is given. Here's why. And don't miss this. This is really important. For Isaiah, by the Holy Spirit, to prophesy and say, for unto us a child is born, speaks to Christ's humanity. And for Isaiah, by the Holy Spirit, to prophesy concerning the Savior and say, unto us a son is given, speaks to Christ's divinity. Fully God, fully man, wrapped up in this one verse, in this one prophecy, this well-known verse, for unto us a child is born. That is Jesus as man, and unto us a son is given. That is Jesus as God. And from last week, or actually it was chapter 7, uh, his name will be Emmanuel. The name Emmanuel, and we're going to get into the names here next, but the name Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus is God. Jesus is God, the second person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Isaiah goes on in verse 6 and says, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called. Now I want you to notice this. Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The first thing I want you to notice is that there are five names. I do not believe that is a coincidence or happenstance. I believe that is by design because the number five in Scripture is always associated with grace. The fifth commandment, the only commandment with a promise, all the other nine commandments are, Thou shalt not, and in the days that thou doest, <laughs> thou shalt surely die. Not commandment number five. Commandment number five has grace. I have it memorized still. My parents made me memorize it. You know the commandment, right? 
Honor thy father and thy mother, so that the days upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee may be long. I see, I, all, all these years I still memorize that one commandment. It's the fifth commandment, the only commandment with a promise, Paul will say to the Ephesians. Number five, watch this. This is really interesting. I love typology and I love the symbols of numbers in Scripture. So God, when He changed the name slash nature, this is going to come into play here in a second, He changes the name slash nature of Abram and Sarah by taking the fifth letter, number five, in the Hebrew alphabet and placing it in the fifth position in both of their names, and it changes everything. Instead of Sarai, it's Sarah. Instead of Abram, it's Ibrahim. Ha, the fifth letter in the fifth location in the name. The number five is the number of grace, like we know the number seven to be the number of completion, the number eight to be the number of new beginnings. Now why is that important? Because this is His nature. We have five names, and when you... Each of these names is a sermon unto itself. Wonderful. How about just counselor alone? Mighty God, everlasting Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Prince of Peace. Five wonderful names, starting with wonderful. By the way, it should be noted that this prophecy, when this child would be born, when this son would be given, would be fulfilled with 100% accuracy some 800 years later. And again, this is just one of over 300 prophecies concerning the first coming of Jesus Christ. Number seven, verse seven. Of the increase of his government, and peace, there will be no end. Here it is, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. And then Isaiah says this, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Okay. Stay with me here. A couple things I want to point out here. First, the reason why the Assyrian army numbered at 185,000 men would be killed by an angel at night is because God made a promise to David that the Savior of the world would come from his lineage. Do you know why the Assyrians were invading Judah? They wanted to depose the king. Well, wait a minute, we have a problem. You can't. Even if you, you know, wanted to, you can't because, see, God made a covenant and gave David his word and promised David that 
the Savior of the world would come from his line. So if you're thinking you're going to go and invade Judah and depose the king, then, um, well, it's just not going to happen. Because I made that promise. Now, why do I emphasize that? Because God's made us a promise, or 3,000. God's given us his word. The Assyrians in your life, whatever that is, you fill in the blank that are coming against you, surrounding you. I mean, it looks like this is how it ends. Oh, by the way, same thing for Gideon too. Same thing for Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles 20, I think it is. Boy, I'm really pushing my memory envelope tonight. I think it's Second Chronicles chapter 20. Absolutely. In fact, Jehoshaphat, I, I love this about this king. He was a good king, one of only nine. I mean, he is looking at this situation, this invading army is coming, this alliance that have allied together to come and destroy them. And Jehoshaphat cries out to the Lord and says, God, this great horde is coming against us, and we don't know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. Wait, shh. Did you? What did you just say? What did you just pray? Did you just say that you don't know what to do? And that your eyes are on me, that you're looking to me? Because your situation looks absolutely impossible. In fact, again, impossible is an understatement with what's coming against you. And you're looking to me? Oh, watch me now. And he says to Jehoshaphat, and all of Israel with their families, which is really important, their children are with them too. He said, I want you, to, this is what I'm going to do. You're not going to have to fight this battle. This is where we get that famous quote, the battle belongs to the Lord. I'm going to take care of this for you. Now sometimes <laughs> there are those battles. I think about Joshua and you know after he succeeded Moses, many battles getting to the promised land. But this one is different. God says, this, this, I got this one. I got this one. <laughs> and boy did he. All they had to do was just behold the deliverance and the salvation and the victory of the Lord. And they just had to praise him before he did it, by the way. Before he did it. They praised him, they worshiped him, they thanked him in advance, and it was game on. And he destroyed this great horde, this army that came against him. I don't know what it is in your life. I know I've had some Assyrian armies and some great hordes come against me over the years. And I have to confess, you know, I'm not this great man of faith like, you know, the battle belongs to the Lord. No, I'm in the fetal position crying like a baby. Well, crying like a man, but I'm just, God, what are we going to do? I got this. Watch me now. I'll take care of this one. Just give it to me. Look to me. Yeah, but God, uh, like Gideon, there's a hundred. Did you count how many of them there are? 
I think about King Hezekiah. 185,000 Assyrians. Did you count them, God? You've been listening to another edition of In Spirit and Truth. Thanks for tuning in to study the Word of God. As you continue to learn from Isaiah with Pastor J.D., make sure to really think about what you're hearing and what God wants to speak to you today through Scripture. We encourage you to keep reading on your own. If you're not already part of a local church that you call home, we encourage you to find one and attend regularly to grow in relationship with God and others. And if you're in or near the Kaneohe area, come visit us. You'll find all the information you need, including service times and directions to Calvary Chapel Kaneohe on our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're there, you can also access more of Pastor J.D.'s teachings like you heard today, including his weekly prophecy updates. In addition to that, you may be interested in the ABCs of Salvation under the Resources tab. This is a simple guide to sharing the good news of salvation in Jesus. As we continue to learn from the book of Isaiah together, we'd be honored to pray for you during this study. Would you let us know what those prayer requests might be? Just fill out the contact form under the About tab at calvarychapelkaneohe.com or come find us on social media. There's a link to our Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook pages on our website. We encourage you to follow them so you can stay up to date with all that's happening at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe and In Spirit and Truth. That's all we have time for today, but thanks for listening to In Spirit and Truth. Keeping me right with your wind.